but in all my experience, I have never been in any accident. I have seen but one vessel in distress in all my years at sea. I never saw a wreck, nor was I ever in any predicament that threatened to end in disaster of any sort. E.J. Smith, Captain of the RMS Titanic. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be looking at one of the greatest maritime disasters in world history. On the early morning of April 15, 1912, RMS Titanic struck an iceberg. And almost since the moment that happened, myths and legends have crept up about the disaster and about the ship itself, many aided by the James Cameron film Titanic. Today I want to debunk four myths about Titanic so that we can set the historical record straight. Let's get started. Number one, Titanic was unsinkable. Easily the biggest myth about the Titanic is that everyone at the time believed she was unsinkable. This is simply not the case. The White Star Line never made such claims about the ship being unsinkable, though both the owners and the ship's builders did call her, quote, practically unsinkable, end quote. The marketing focus of the company was not on the ship's seaworthiness, but on her luxury. And with first-class tickets costing from $1,700 up to $50,000 in today's money, this just made good business sense. The claim and resulting myth of unsinkability actually only arose after the ship sank. This idea was solidified in the public's imagination when Philip Franklin, head of the White Star Line office in New York, first received word that Titanic had hit the iceberg. Franklin told reporters that, quote, there's no danger that Titanic will sink, the boat is unsinkable, end quote. From that moment on, the words Titanic and unsinkable were linked forever. Myth number two. Corporate greed and or negligence reduced the number of lifeboats. Now there's no question that there were not enough lifeboats for all the passengers on board. While the ship could accommodate 64 lifeboats, it only carried 20. This has led to the charge that either the greed of the White Star Line, wanting that space used for other purposes, or simple negligence was to blame. What's almost never mentioned is that the 20 lifeboats that Titanic carried were actually four more than were required by law at the time. British maritime law in 1912 based the number of lifeboats a ship had to carry on the ship's gross tonnage, not its passenger capacity. By this calculation, Titanic was only required to carry 16 lifeboats, and while the extra four they actually had on hand were nowhere near sufficient for the number of passengers, it was still more than the law stipulated. They were simply following a bad law one that was almost immediately changed in the aftermath of the sinking. It should also be noted that in the conventional wisdom of the time, lifeboats were to be used to ferry passengers from a ship in distress to a rescuing one, which meant they could be used for multiple trips. Sadly, in this case, that option was never available. 
Myth number three, the final song. It is historically accurate and portrayed marvelously in both the 1958 film A Night to Remember and Cameron's Titanic that the ship's band continued playing on deck as the ship went down. What is unlikely is that the final song the band played was the hymn Nearer My God to Thee. The passengers who reported this as the last song escaped the ship well before it sank, while survivors who escaped in the final lifeboat said the band was playing upbeat popular tunes in order to calm the passengers, which makes much more sense. The hymn, however, is a more dramatic choice, and it's the one that's erroneously still believed to be that brave band's last song. Myth number four, the actions of First Officer William Murdoch. The public's perception of Titanic First Officer William McMaster Murdoch has varied widely over the years, with some portraying him as a hero and others almost as a villain. This latter view was cemented in the public's imagination 85 years after the fact by James Cameron's portrayal of him in his 1997 blockbuster. In the film, Murdoch shoots himself after shooting several male passengers as they try to force their way onto lifeboats ahead of women and children. Now, while this account is consistent with some reports by survivors, there are significant issues with it. Murdoch was loading passengers into lifeboats on one side of the ship as second officer Charles Lightoller was doing the same on the other side. The two men, however, had very different interpretations of Captain E.J. Smith's order, women and children first. Lightoller saw the order as women and children only, which meant no male passengers at all. Murdoch took it to mean women and children first, and allowed male passengers to board when there were no more women or children readily available. This is why he was able to launch the boats on his side faster and filled to greater capacity than Lightoller's. Given Murdoch's implementation of the order, the idea that he would shoot men for trying to get into the lifeboats seems inconsistent with his known actions. Furthermore, in spite of a number of survivor accounts claiming he shot passengers and then himself, the source of these accounts must be considered. It took three days for the Carpathia, the ship that rescued the survivors, to reach New York. During that time, many stories spread among the traumatized survivors. Stories that quickly transformed from rumors into accepted fact. Among these newly accepted facts were that passengers had been shot and that Captain Smith, William Murdoch, and other officers had committed suicide. And while there were an equal number of counterclaims, with most stating that Murdoch was swept off the Titanic by a wave just before it sank completely, for newspapers at the time, the murder-suicide story was much better for selling papers. Even Second Officer Lytoller disputed the rumors. Having moved to Murdoch's side of the ship, Lytoller said that he was one of the last people to see Murdoch alive, and that Murdoch was working to launch a collapsible lifeboat when a wave struck him. This account is supported by first-class passenger Colonel Altrabald Gracie, a survivor who was near Murdoch at the time. One historian credits Murdoch's actions at the lifeboats with saving 75% of the people who survived and none of the nearly 100 witnesses at the UK Board of Trade Inquiry ever mentioned a suicide. None of this seems to matter. It's Cameron's dramatic version that has become ingrained in our memory. My hope is that my listeners will instead remember what Lytoller told Murdoch's widow. He said, quote, Mr. Murdoch died like a man, doing his duty, end quote. 
Well, that's our episode for today. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.